Lines up. Picked up, and that's your ball game. Trey Brown. And that'll be the scariest game for This is the week six episode of the High Motor Podcast. Andrew Dowdy and Chase Kitty here talking college football on the High Motor Podcast. Were you watching? Actually, I'm, I'm certain you were watching this because your, your Twitter feed suggested that you were. I know you get fired up about these types of games in the big picture. You had a phenomenal non-PG comparison for this game. So I know you were watching Texas-Oklahoma. I think this was the point after Oklahoma missed that field goal, but I'm not positive and I can't remember. And Gus Johnson just starts screaming random words. words. (laughs) He just screams, college football! Sports! Fox Sports! Big 12! Points! What do you Kickers. think was the yeah? What do you think was the fourth? I th- I'm almost positive it was college football, Fox Sports, Big Twelve. What do you think was the fourth one? That I, he didn't I don't say? I don't know. I just love that he threw Fox Sports in there, and it was so punctured. Fox Sports, <laughs> like, and it was like his brain was completely short circuiting, but he still had enough there to remember. Like I'm a company man, Fox Sports. <laughs> I know and then it wasn't like died. Oklahoma, Texas. On Fox Sports, and then go to a commercial. They were still there. Like it, I think it was after the missed kick in overtime. They didn't go to a commercial. Yeah, was, like they just continued right after with their he coverage. shanks the kick, and it's going to four OT. I, I've been. Th- I was like, what is the fourth one there? Because I didn't. After Fox Sports, it was clear that he was going somewhere with this. And then we got one more Big Twelve. The fourth one. I mean, like, would he have gone Red Red River or or Oklahoma or Texas? I don't know. We need more of that on this show. Like midway through a segment, I want to hear Chase Kitty exclaim more. Just that's how we. Just that's be how talking. I declare that a segment is over. I just yell a word. Yeah, just and Sam Pittman. Know, right, go Hogs. You know that means just like and moving on to the Pac-12. Pac-12 after dark. High Motor Podcast. <laughs> what we know after week six. What we don't know after week six as we quickly approach yeah i mean this next episode so a week from now we'll be one week away from the start of big 10 and then just two weeks away from the start of pac 12 so as we approach more teams joining this foray in a move that will definitely shake up the national picture and really just give us more to talk about more scenarios to talk about now through six weeks anywhere between what three and five games play for the majority of teams who have started already what we do know what we don't know that's what we're gonna do on the podcast today and we're going to go back and forth here, but I want to start with one really quickly because it's still on my mind after watching that Auburn-Arkansas game. I think this needs to be discussed a little bit because there seemed to be still a little bit of confusion and people were almost unsure how they should feel about that game. That's the feeling that I got as I was looking around for reaction. We do know that Bo Nick spiked that pass backwards. That was a backwards pass. The officials should have let it play. We do know that. And I'm going to take the other side of this here, too. We do not know if Arkansas would have recovered had the officials let it fully go instead of blowing the whistle and running in. It was kind of a weird situation where it wasn't a clear recovery, and it took like two or three seconds, and Arkansas finally fell on it. We don't know if the officials would have let it go if more Auburn players would have gone after it. I think Arkansas would have recovered the ball because I think two of their guys are more aware than anybody in Auburn that that might have been a backwards pass. They, they botched the call. But I don't think we know for sure 
it was a clear recovery. So I would have liked to have seen it go beyond where they stopped it. But we do not know specifically. And I, I tweeted and wrote a little bit about this last night, and I'm kind of regretting it, where I think I said this cost Arkansas the game. I think I should have worded it as this cost Arkansas an opportunity to win this game because ultimately Auburn had the second shot at the field goal. So we do know that it was a backwards pass. We do not know what would have happened in that game. Uh, I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, kudos to you on the on the mea culpa. Even though it's not really that big of a deal, I think sometimes when we react to things, I, I think sometimes we use the wrong words. So I think that's a great uh, self-analysis that you just did that I think people should do more of. I don't really have anything to add to that. I think I think you nail it. It's, hey, it's if, if college football, I mean, look what we were just talking about with missed kicks and stuff in three overtimes or whatever. College football, more than the NFL perhaps, is a game of seizing on opportunities that the other team gives you when they mess something up. And so that's what this was, and Arkansas didn't get the opportunity, and so they miss an opportunity. And it was a really timely one because it's the end of the game. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't think I have anything to add to that. That's eloquently put by you. Did you? I didn't honestly know that rule. I've never seen it come up before where a fumbled snap led to a spike, which then you obviously lose the right to a spike. I watch a shit ton of college football in the NFL. I never knew that was a rule. It's just one of those things I don't think about. It's never come up in my mind before. Maybe I've seen it before, but not totally processed it. I didn't know that that was the rule, that you lose the right to a spike if the ball hits the ground before you spike it. Do you know that? I vaguely remember a game from like eight years ago where the same thing happened. Yeah, I, I, I think I did know that, yeah. All right, what do you know and what do you not know after six weeks of college football? So I I liked the idea of doing this coming into the week because we're kind of coming up on that halfway point in the traditional season. I felt like we were going to definitively know a lot more things at the end of this week than it turns out we actually do. So what do I think I know? I guess to start with, I think we know that Clemson's in control of the ACC, right? That's That feels pretty safe. Uh, I think we know... I, I don't even know if we know Alabama's the best team in the SEC. Actually, hold on. Let me go back to that Clemson thing because I want to I talk about the ACC really quickly here because we brought it up, I think it was last week or two weeks ago where we were doing the, is it too early? And I think we ended up saying that, or you asked maybe, is it too early to say Miami is the second best team in the ACC? And I think we both said that they were, or maybe it was Virginia Tech. I don't know. Maybe you can remind me. My Mine here is that we don't know who the second best team is in the ACC. I wasn't expecting Miami to, to beat Clemson or really even be close in that game, but we were talking about right before we hopped on here. That game just felt over after like two drives. And yeah, we didn't know that Miami was going to commit that many penalties and had that many self-inflicted wounds, but it didn't even feel like after Miami looked pretty good, and it turns out we already knew Florida State sucked, but it turns out maybe Louisville just isn't very good. And we gave so many kudos to Miami after beating Louisville. But in that game, it just didn't feel like Miami was even in the second or third ballpark behind Clemson, and maybe there just isn't a ballpark, one or two ballparks behind Clemson in the ACC. But now I, I've been struggling wondering who the second best team in the, in the ACC is the last few weeks, even the third or the fourth best team, how to rank those teams behind Clemson. But now I don't have any clue where to begin this and say who the second best team is in the ACC. I still want to say that it's Miami. I think it's really easy to come on the day after you watch them get their ass kicked. And Clemson just makes you look worse than you are. That's what they do. That's why they're Clemson. So I, I, 
I think Miami got their ass kicked a little bit and, and they need to lick their wounds. Fine. I'm still going to take them as the second best team in the ACC. Who do we really have here? We got Notre Dame, which I'll come back to in a second. We have North Carolina, which, I mean, you want to talk about bad defenses. That Tech-North Carolina game, I mean, at least Tech was missing 12 players or whatever. Their defense still got shredded, but at least they had a decent excuse for it. That There was just no... You want to talk about games where no defense was played? There was no defense played in that game. I understand that it was not in the Midwest. It wasn't in the central time zone. No defense played in that game whatsoever. So I'm not at all convinced yet that North Carolina is in the same league as these other couple of teams. I mean, we've got a collection of decent teams in the middle of the ACC, which is certainly an improvement over what we saw last year with a league that it just felt like Clemson and then a bunch of just average, average, average. So, I mean, Tech, I think, is is probably decent. UVA is maybe a little better than I thought they would be. Pitt, fine. I I mean, Louisville is... I still don't know what to do with them yet. It, It feels like they are massively underachieving this year. I don't think they're some top 20 team. But they're not get blown out by Georgia Tech bad. So I don't know what's going on there. That was a weird game Friday night uh, that you and I were, were kind of shooting some text back and do forth you, on. Going, going back to the North Carolina thing, do you feel like – I didn't watch that much of that game, but I know that you watched quite a bit of the Virginia Tech-North Carolina game. From what I saw of it and from what I've seen of the limited games that North Carolina has played this year, that game specifically, from what I saw, it almost felt like North Carolina was – a worse version of what we've seen from Oklahoma the last few years. I'm not saying that North Carolina is as good as Oklahoma has been during their playoff run in which they've gotten throttled as the four seed, but it feels like they're kind of Oklahoma light where they could sneak into the playoff as a four seed. I don't think they will this year, especially with the Big Ten coming back, but they feel like that type of team that can play with some really good teams. I mean, if they if they play Clemson hard, I wouldn't be surprised but they will also struggle mightily with most teams on their schedule, as Oklahoma has shown quite a bit the last few years. It feels like they're kind of the Oklahoma light this year, doesn't it? Yeah, I want to see them play somebody that's maybe a better benchmark. Because when you look at their schedule, they've played Syracuse, and they won that game 31-6. to That was their opener on September 12th. It's easy to forget that that game, like, that game was like a one-point game in the fourth quarter, and then they just, like, avalanched Syracuse right at the end. They're supposed to play Charlotte. That game gets canceled. They go to Boston College last weekend and just barely escape with their lives. And I don't think BC is all that good this year. And then they have to just outrace Virginia Tech in a game where more than 100 points are scored. So they're going to go to Tallahassee next week. I don't know that, you know, that, that I still don't think that's that big of a challenge. They got to play NC State before the end of the month. They go to Charlottesville on Halloween. They play Duke in November. They play Wake Forest in November. They don't really get a test until late November, early December, when they play Notre Dame and Miami in back-to-back weeks. They wouldn't have to play Clemson into a potential ACC title game. So it just feels like, you know, if the theme of today is what do we know and what do we not know, I don't think we know yet really where North Carolina is where they live in this ecosystem, and I don't think we're going to know for several more weeks, it sounds like. Let's bump it up a little bit here. Uh, this morning, someone sent me the the link to ESPN's Top 25, and, and frankly, I don't care that much until everybody is playing, but it was still interesting 
seeing who they have from, you know, five down to 12, five down to 15 is. And it reminded me that we don't know who the fifth best team is in college football. I think it's Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, and Clemson, the top four, however you want to put them. I'm guessing you probably agree with me on that. Five on down, I think it's cloudy from that whole, what I said, five down to 12 or 15. But specifically at five, we don't have a clue after last weekend who the fifth best team is in college football. There's an argument for maybe six or seven teams in that spot. Yeah, so the one I'm looking at, and you tell me if, uh, well, actually, no, this is the AP poll, so I, I'm not sure what the ESPN This one is, is, this one is Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, and then they have Wisconsin, Penn State, Oregon, Notre Dame, Florida, and USC rounding out the top 10. So they go heavy uh, on teams that haven't even played yeah, yet. There just, with... We've had this conversation before, so I don't want to get bogged down in it, but how do you put a team at number one that hasn't played yet when we're six weeks into the season? How do you do that? I personally don't care. Like I said, I, I just want to wait until these teams are actually playing. And I, I yeah, I get your point. We've talked. I don't about this care enough it. to tweet about it, but it just doesn't make sense to me. Like if it's no. the preseason, fine. If it's week one, fine. It's the middle of October. This is just this weird. Is also, I didn't realize this is a computer model too. I thought this was just some analyst ranking them. This is a computer model again. Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, and then Wisconsin okay. at five. I'm actually okay State. with that. Then if if the computer Penn. feels that, fine. Whatever. Where do you think then it lands with that fifth best team conversation? And do you think that matters in the playoff picture right now? Or are those four teams so locked into very favorable playoff paths that five on down you're just not that concerned with right now? Well, was Georgia in the top four there? Yeah, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, and Georgia. And I think that's right. I think those are very clearly, we can talk about Alabama's defense if you want, uh, Georgia's offense a little bit, but I think those four teams are very clearly once Ohio State actually starts playing here, the four best teams in college football. I don't think Wisconsin's the fifth best team. I don't know who the fifth best team is, but I'm pretty certain it's not Wisconsin, especially with their quarterback situation now. But we don't have a clue, and it seems like, maybe I'm just misremembering this, but it seems like in the past, around this time, we have a pretty good idea who the fifth best take, who's that one team that's kind of on the outside of the playoff picture, or at least we have it narrowed down to one, two, or three teams here. I think there's an argument for at least six or seven teams to be in that fifth spot. Yeah, I, I think there's a good argument for Florida. I get that they lost this week um, and that, the, you know, just the rules of the landscape says you lost so you have to drop. I don't know that there's too much shame in going on the road in the best conference in football and losing by three points to, at a field goal at the gun to a top 20 team. I mean, that's just, that's college football. So... I'm, I still think Florida is very much in the mix. I'm not at all ready to, to lock those four in yet. We've talked about uh, the Georgia you know, just difficulty of the schedule, and that's two weeks in a row now where they have really, uh, you know, they've had ranked opponents that were going to be, they weren't walkovers. They were going to have to go win the game, and they won both games by, you know, pretty significant margins. So I still think that the path there is difficult. Then you have to play Alabama in the regular season. Florida does not. They have to play each other in Jacksonville. Like, I just think if Florida, you know, beats Georgia in the head-to-head, or even if they lose in the head-to-head, they still have a, a pretty decent path to getting into the SEC championship game. Now, if they lose the, you know, the, the Jacksonville game, that now it's kind of a the path is a lot harder now because now Georgia's going to have the head-to-head over you and you have two losses. But because of the schedule, it's still not impossible. 
And we know that Georgia from time to time has dropped the occasional weird game, the South Carolina type game. Like, so I think it's all very much up in the air. And then to return to a thought that I had a, a, a little while ago now, I'm not total. I look as, as much as I have been impressed by watching Alabama, specifically the offense this year, I didn't think that Ole Miss was going to give them that much trouble. And it's going on the road in the SEC, so you know a, a double-digit win is a double-digit win. You take it and you move on. You don't think too much about it. But I don't think they're invulnerable. And, and I think I've been fairly consistent on that idea that, yes, they're good. Yes, they're playoff caliber. Yes, maybe they're the best team in the SEC. But they, they can be beat. And when you have this many teams waiting in the wings, the, the margin for error is maybe smaller than it has been in previous years because of the depth of the SEC this year. And then LSU, I mean, I don't think I have anything to add there. <laughs> Let, let's get to that, actually. I, I was thinking about it, and I mean, after seeing what Mississippi State has done the last two weeks, and everybody has talked about this, we've talked about this, you just kind of get this with Mike Leach, especially after an off season. but it seems like we do know that the freakout reaction to Mississippi State's win over LSU a couple weeks ago was clearly an overreaction because this LSU team is really, really bad. I mean, looking over their, their schedule again, 10 games, I think I tweeted out that three and seven is not out of the question. No, I they're not. Good. I don't know how they get to three. I mean, this is we're talking about a potentially two and eight team, and yet two wins is, is different this year because there are two fewer games. But even in a twelve game schedule with what they were supposed to play, you're talking about going from the best team in college football history, in my opinion, to finishing as like a three and nine type of team we saw something kind of similar to what Auburn did when they collapsed under Gene Chizik but the collapse from this seems like we haven't seen this in college football before and we'll all cite what happened this offseason coaching changes departures COVID all of that stuff as kind of a reason for it but I, I don't even know if I care because the collapse is so big and so pathetic that we we now know that yeah, Mississippi State going to LSU that early in a tenure of a new coach. Great. Congratulations. Like that's that's still a nice win even if LSU sucks. But clearly how everybody freaked out about that win, that was a wild overreaction. We know that now. Yeah, Chris Vernon yesterday from the Ringer tweets, "Coach O is going to be the new Gene Chizik. One amazing season with a transcendent quarterback, an amazing offensive coordinator and a title, and then those truly responsible for the success left." And I thought that's a that's a poignant thought. And then uh, my immediate next thought was, oh, you and I said that like eight months ago, where we had a conversation on this podcast about, hey, it, that was really awesome watching you win the national title. And guess what? You're probably going to get fired in like three to four years because A, that's how college football works. That's you, you. Very few people don't end with getting fired in this job. Most people get fired. And I thought, especially me, I really pushed the idea of I really think the, I, the the locus of the success for LSU last year was not Orgeron. It was in other places, and those places have now left, and this is what we get into. Some of it you can't lay at his feet. It's just massive, massive departures on the defensive side. Fine, but if you're LSU, you should be able to reload maybe a little bit better than this. I mean, this is really bad, and as you pointed out, with, with the SEC West schedule— and what they look like on the field, I mean, they're they're not going to sniff 500, I don't think. They're they're going to be way south of that. So Yeah, it, I went back and ugh. looked while you were talking there. It was our first episode after the national championship game. We dropped that episode on January 14th, and we basically said that Ed Orgeron deserves all the apologies in the world because 
almost nobody thought that was a good hire, and zero people on the planet thought that he was going to assemble the best team in college football history. But we also said, and I think the conversation kind of focused around, this is not going to end well. Like you said, it's almost like sad. Yeah, it's reality that coaches get fired, but here's a guy that is from Louisiana, loves LSU basically as much as any coach loves any program in all-time college football, but he's going to get fired. Like He's not going to do this again. LSU's expectations are too high, and even though nobody in LSU expects them to do what they did last year every single year, it still creates an expectation within you that you can do that, and you shouldn't be settling for 8-4, and 7-5, and 9-3 and three type of seasons, and ultimately he's going to get fired. Do I think that we're going to have like a one-and-done season for Orgeron? He's going to get fired after next year? No. But I think when you look at what he—I mean— Bo Pelini was a shit hire to begin with. Giving him $2.3 million made it even a worse hire. I th- I don't have it I don't have a pull up in front of me, but I think he's the second highest paid assistant in college football to Kevin Steele. I think Kevin Steele's at, at 2.5 at Auburn. Bo Pelini's at 2.3. I didn't know that Bo Pelini's uh contract, two years, six point nine million, is fully guaranteed. So I, I like I want to give Coach O the credit, and we've done that so many times. And it sucks to lose that many people. I mean, you plucked a guy from New Orleans Saints analyst role, and he became the most sought-after, in my opinion, coordinator in college football in the last several years. You weren't expecting... And you weren't expecting to lose that. Like, you could never have imagined losing that, and I'm sure he would have gladly taken that, given what Brady gave him last year and what all these guys gave him last year. And I still want to give Coach O credit, but at the same time... You hired Bo fucking Pelini to replace one of the best defensive coordinators in college football, and you gave him 2.3. I mean, do you really think this was going to work out to hire an old friend who hasn't really had the best defensive success recently? A guy that was just blasted at Nebraska? Do you think that was the answer? I I, I just, I don't, I don't want to rip on Orgeron, but like, we could kind of see this coming, and you saw this coming more than I did. I don't know if you were expecting it to be this bad, but you said before the season you didn't understand the LSU love. You were openly wondering if they were a top 25 team. I wasn't quite there yet, but I don't think we saw them being this bad, and I can't. I feel bad because they lost so many guys, and it must be tough, but you hired Bo Pelini to take over a defense that lost a lot, you still have the best cornerback in the country coming back. You still have a ton of high-level talent coming back. And I don't know what you were expecting to happen there. Yeah, just just to put a bow on the LSU stuff, right? Somehow they're still ranked 17th coming into this week. Uh, they they just lost to Missouri 45-41. So now they're 1-2 going into the rest of their SEC schedule. They get Florida next week. South Carolina at home the week after that. At, at Auburn. They get a bye. They host Alabama November 14th. They go to Arkansas November 21st. And then they. Jay Pittman! <laughs> at Texas AM November 28th. Host Ole Miss on December 5th. I mean, maybe that's best case scenario. I think that's four wins, right? And, and that is assuming they beat South Carolina, they win at Arkansas, and they beat Ole Miss at home. And you can Not make happening. a case that Not none happening. of those games are guaranteed. I don't want to like go full overboard here. This is kind of like when I got you to admit that Texas, there was a better chance, I think, that they would win three games than go undefeated. But tell me that there's not a better chance that LSU goes like one and nine versus four and six. 
By the way, do you want to take a victory lap on that Texas conversation? Because, I mean, I know we were looking at a different schedule than the one they ultimately played, but we're, we're now talking about a Texas team. Boy, that was a hell of a transition for me. I wasn't even thinking about that. We're now talking about a Texas team that's 1-2, and two, and one of the losses is TCU. So not exactly like a team that you would expect to write an L in for. Uh, also, their schedule coming up. Right, where are the wins for Baylor them? at Oklahoma State, West Virginia at Kansas, Iowa State at Kansas State. So One I mean, auto win. You're guaranteed two. That's are, all you're are, guaranteed. As, as you have said very eloquently here, at Kansas, if no. you're Texas, no, not, not making a joke, they have historically struggled with Kansas. I believe those were your exact words when we had that conversation, and you weren't wrong about that. Yeah, not this year, though. Let me ask you this regarding Texas and LSU, because they were supposed to play. They gave us a beauty last year. They were supposed to play this year. Combined wins for Texas and LSU this year. Over, under, 7.5. Now, Texas has the extra game. Mm. So they're 21 combined games. So I'm saying, are they going to go a combined 7 and So 14? they need another 6 wins combined for the remainder of the season. Correct. And I think Texas would have to supply four of those. Which, I mean, what are we talking? They'd have to go four and three. You're saying they'd have to beat Kansas. I'm going under. West Virginia. I'm going under. And probably Baylor. Excuse me, they have six games left. I think it's possible that LSU is the worst team in the SEC West. I don't... I. That's not a crazy statement. Well, no, I'm trying to think of... I think that's just... That's just a fact. I don't know that right? it's a fact yet. But okay, there's a, there's a stronger argument that they are than than, that, they're not. than yes. they are not. Agreed. God, six point nine million dollars for Bo Pelini. Yeah. six point nine million dollars. You want to talk about the Big Twelve? Please. Do you want me just to to let you go here for a half just hour? Clear out ISO. I mean, I tweet about the Big Twelve <laughs> quite a bit. I don't. I don't know if I have, what did you say, that you need a Big 12 intervention, which I don't think you do because the Big 12 is just fun. I'm getting so. there. And not that, like, the SEC, I mean, th- those SEC games are great. I'd like to see a little bit more defense, but those are still some phenomenal games on Saturday night. Where do you want to go with the Big 12 here? Because there's a lot of different places we could take this. All right, so here's where I want to start. And it's it's a, I, I, I just, I'll apologize already at the beginning of this for repeating myself because these are already points I've already made, but I want to make them again because I'm just angry irrationally all the time. So I'm watching Texas-Oklahoma yesterday. And at the it's the end of the second overtime where Ellinger, they missed that holding call and Ellinger runs it all the way in from the 24-yard line or whatever it was. So Damian Woody tweets, do they play any defense in the Big 12? <laughs> and I immediately retweeted it like, I'm, I'm starting a fucking list of these. I'm starting a list of people that... You're just not paying attention. Because if you watched this game, I get that the overtime was just absolutely like a trip off the cliff injecting you know drugs directly into your veins. I got that. The actual regulation game, not bad. Like, they played some defense, which is not exactly what you were... Like, you needed overtime to get to the over in this game. Because they did play decent defense. We're talking about a league where the the co-leaders this week held their opponents to 15 points and 14 points respectively, okay? Iowa State and Kansas State, 
15 and 14 points respectively. Almost every other game played this week in college football was out of its mind offensively, just all over the place. 40 points, 50 points, 60 points, all of the points. So I'm just over this. I'm so over this. It's just lazy bullshit. Like, up oh, big, tw- I mean, it's, it's like, not, not, you know, we don't get super political on this podcast, but it's like a Trump tweet. It's just automatic. Like, if you don't understand by now what's going on there, you don't get it. Like, you just don't, it's formulaic. There's no thought that goes into it all. It's just, meh, red meat, bam. Big 12, no defense, bam. It's just, what are we doing? Point to somewhere else in college football where we're seeing consistently good defense. I don't know if the Big 12 has the best defenses of any Power 5 conference. I don't want to go there. I think it's too hard of an argument to say which conference has better defenses because there are just too many teams in each conference to actually make an argument like that. But you can't just scream that nobody plays defense in the Big 12. Where is the context? Where is your comparison? Because you cannot point to this. I don't I don't know if like Damian Woody is some... I think he went to Boston College. I don't think he's some like SEC pounder. I have no idea what his argument is there. But if you want to say that, at least show me somewhere else where it is far, far better or marginably better. What is your argument instead of just screaming the Big 12 doesn't play defense? Well, and, and it seems like an especially weird time to complain about offense and points and defenses in a game that's now in double overtime. Like, man, I can't believe this double overtime game has all these points. <laughs> That's an odd observation. I mean, go through the SEC scoreboard this week. Texas A&M beats Florida 41-38. Missouri beats LSU 45-41. Georgia beats Tennessee 44-21. Auburn, Arkansas 30-28. Alabama Ole Miss 63-48. 1,400 yards of offense. 1,400. Why why is that different? This is not about the Big 12. This is about the direction that college football is going. And that doesn't mean there aren't legitimate criticisms of the defenses in the Big 12 at times. But the Big 12 has always been an innovative offensive conference. And the things we have seen in this conference over the last 15 to 20 years have slowly crept into other conferences. And then they have slowly crept from those conferences into the NFL. So that's kind of the direction that these things move. So to sit here and like complain about Big 12 defenses with no context just shows me you you aren't really paying attention. You're not really trying to engage with any substance or say anything interesting or say anything substantive that really like gets to some essence of something that we're looking at. You're just trying to you know what that is? That is a tweet that says I am currently watching Oklahoma, Texas. And just bam, 100 automatic likes from a whole bunch of other people that aren't thinking about anything else either. Just, oh yeah, Big 12. Oh, I'm, I'm an Alabama fan. Oh, Big 12 defenses. It's just dumb. Do you feel better? Yep. Do you want me to bring us back to what we're doing here? Yeah, what are we doing? Are we live right now? We know, we know for sure. I said during that Is It Too Early episode... I think I said, is it too early to wonder if Lincoln Riley will ever assemble a complete team or something like that? I don't think it is too early for that. After watching another game filled with mental errors and discipline issues on the field, not like they're punching people or any shit like that, but just in terms of discipline and mental errors, we do know that this is a real problem for Lincoln Riley. I don't know if it's because of the weird offseason. I don't know if it's because of how practice is impacted. I have no idea what the cause of it is. 
But we do know this is a problem for Lincoln Riley moving forward. If a team like this is making this many errors with this much talent, this is going to shake up the Big 12, I think, for the next several years. It's kind of a stupid thing to say. If they don't fix their issues, it's going to be a problem. Well, no shit. But I think we do know that this is a real problem for Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma moving forward. Yeah, I mean, if the whole idea of this episode is, what do we know, what do we not know? Can we say at least in the short term right now, Oklahoma is not a contender, like not, not, not a national contender. I think that ship is sailed. We, we are, we understand that they're not a contender in this conference. I think we can definitively say that. They I don't, don't think we can say that. Do what? I don't think we can say that. So you say, let's take I think Iowa state, Iowa state or Kansas state, whoever you want. Again, I think it'll be Oklahoma in the big 12 championship still against one of those two teams. I'm still, right now, I'm still taking Oklahoma in that game. I, I think the only way that we could say that is with the understanding that the team gets better. And of course, that could happen. Like the, you know, it, it's not a static product every week, even in this age of weird practices and coronavirus and everything. But it, it doesn't feel to me, I mean, the fourth quarter stuff with them is real. The, what they've scored on offense and what they've given up on defense they do not know how to close games. This is a trend now. They, I mean, everybody on, was talking yesterday on the internet about how Oklahoma can't win this game unless they go for two because they're not ever going to stop Texas. And that ended up not being true because, you know, most of the stuff the internet thinks is eventually proved to be dumbass bullshit. So, you know, maybe we fall into that category. I don't know. But it, it's just, it feels to me like this isn't a blip. This is a trend. And, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago about if the difference between Oklahoma having an elite offense and a good offense puts them down to like six and three or five and four in conference, I mean, that's where I think they're at this year. They have a good offense. They don't have an elite offense. And combined with a defense that's this troublesome, I think they are going to continue to lose games and they already can't lose too many more games or they're just not going to be in contention for that second spot in the, in the championship game in the Big 12. Last thing on the Big 12 for me, I think that we do know that same deal there. Texas and Tom Herman have even bigger problems than I thought. Like, we we bash Texas a lot, but they have a lot of the same exact problems. After the game, St. Allender made a comment like, we have, we have the talent, we have the schemes, blah, blah, blah. And I think schemes and coaching is debatable because this kind of falls in that. But he says we keep shooting ourselves in the foot. Yes, I agree with that to an extent. But that's also kind of just the team that you are. Like, this is this is not a blip. This is what we've seen from Texas under Tom Herman and before that. I tweeted out, I went and looked back. I, I was curious because just watching all these stupid-ass penalties they were committing, they've ranked a hundredth or worse in the FBS in each of Tom Herman's four years uh, as head coach, and they're, they're trending toward that, well, first three years and trending toward that again this year. I think we do know that, Texas's problems are far deeper than just they're underachieving. I think this is a broken program with culture problems that make this type of they make these type of mistakes when they play in a game like this. And I guess not even a game like this. When they just play football, Texas just does this shit. And I think that their problems are far deeper than even those like us who bash Texas realize. Yeah, I mean, but both of these, it feels like we do some version of this every year, but it, it really does feel like both of these teams this year are in danger of falling behind mathematically. 
and that there are scheme problems. I think you are correct in identifying there are culture problems. I think some of the coaching has been questionable, which you used to be able to say, at least with Lincoln Riley and to some degree Tom Herman, like the coaching decisions were going to be pretty decent. I think there were some really questionable stuff that went on yesterday in terms of coaching decisions. So I, I don't. I think we're looking at an interesting uh, potential reality this year, which is a Big Twelve in which neither Oklahoma nor Texas are are truly relevant at the top of the conference, and that's interesting to me. That it's it may not be good for like ratings or the national awareness. It's certainly not good for national awareness when you Kansas State and Iowa State are in first place in your conference. But I think as first of all, as somebody you know. Regardless of whether I want to or not, a lot of my Big 12 interaction is viewed through the prism of the fact that I'm a fan of a Big 12 team. So certainly from that perspective, it's interesting to me to see non-traditional powers dominating the conference early on. But even even as if you take that part out of it, I just still think it's interesting when other people who aren't usually like dominating a conference get to be at the top of the conference. I think it's interesting in the SEC when Alabama gets like taken out to the degree where you're like, okay, they're probably not going to be in the playoff. They're probably not going to be in the SEC championship game. That makes it way more interesting to me. When we talk about the ACC, the biggest complaint we've had the last five years is Clemson's so good that this entire conference is predictable. So it's kind of the antithesis of that. It's interesting, and yet at the same time, it's a problem for the Big 12 that the two most visible brands in the conference might be kind of average to above average this year, and that's going to hurt them as a conference. I don't know how you square those two things, because it, it, it seems like both are true, and yet they're complete antithesis of each other. Well, and widen the lens on that. How much time do we spend talking every single year about, yeah, Oklahoma's going to be good this year, but what are they going to do when they get to the playoff as the four seed again and play the best team in college football? So not only is Oklahoma going back in that prism you set of the Big 12 – of maybe this just isn't the best team in the Big 12. Hell, maybe it's not even the second best team in the Big 12. Oklahoma's going backwards, and because they are, the Big 12 is going backwards in the in the national picture. I'm I'm with you. We've said this so many times. This is just fun as hell. I mean, Big 12 football is phenomenal every year because of the Ron Robbins schedule, because there is so much depth. When you have a team like Texas Tech, who's the second worst team in the Big 12, but they're still a team that can play most I don't know, teams like in that 15 to 40 range, pretty good on a consistent basis. The depth of this conference makes it fun as hell. But in the national picture, the Big 12 is just going backwards. And I I don't want to overreact to what we're seeing this year because I think it's, it's really hard to know what type of off-the-field effects we're seeing on the field. So I'm trying very hard to stay composed and not overreact to some of these uh, some of these games, some of these discipline issues, like I mentioned with Oklahoma at Iowa State and again on Saturday. But I'm legitimately concerned about Lincoln Riley's grip on this program. Not that like they're going to be bad. Oklahoma is still going to do what they've done recently. They're still going to go 11-1 and most often. But they're not closing the gap between them and that one seed or even them and the other three teams in the playoff. And ultimately, like that, that's what you're playing for here. Oklahoma's not playing for Big 12 championships. Texas might be. Like, they're a step behind. I don't know if Texas is coming into every single year and saying the expectation is a national championship. I think they're saying the expectation is make the Big 12 championship and we'll see what happens. 
And then it kind of goes down the line from there to Kansas State, Iowa State, TCU, and all those teams. But the Big 12 isn't making up this gap, and it's getting far greater. We'll see when Ohio State gets thrown into the mix here who the best team in college football is and if there is as big of a gap as we saw last year between like an LSU and Oklahoma or whether it was Clemson, Oklahoma a few years back or Alabama and Oklahoma that one to four. But the gap is just widening now, and we'll see if that carries into next year. But I think that's that's kind of like what we're leading to here with this question of what has this done to the big picture of Oklahoma. And the Big 12 is in a really, really bad spot right now. Yeah, I don't want to go too long in the Big 12, but I do have one more question I want to ask you and kind of get your thoughts on. If, if Iowa State beats Louisiana and Kansas State beats Arkansas State, how does that change the conversation we're having about the Big 12? I know you, we can't go back and relitigate those games, but if, if that did happen that way and we had undefeated teams at the top of the Big 12, but Oklahoma and Texas had done everything exactly the same— how do you think that changes things? I don't know. I'm trying to think back to like when Kansas State used to be really good. We were just talking about this off air. I think it was in 2012. Yeah, it was that first year that West Virginia joined. That's what we were talking about Baylor, West Virginia. And I'm trying to think of how we evaluated or reacted to the Big 12's best. And that was a little bit different because Kansas State wasn't that far removed from being really good. Yeah, they they had just kind of sucked under Ron Prince, but still, like, the, the Bill Snyder rebound era when he took them to being a really good, not consistent top-five team, but they were in that national picture fairly often. We weren't that far removed from that. So I'm trying to figure out how we evaluated them back then and then apply that to now. And I don't... I have no idea. I don't know how it would react to that. I think it would more be like, Okay, Iowa State beat a Sun Belt team. Congrats! Right, but it, it and like you, turns out it would Arkansas be the State's not that of good. the black mark of the loss to the Sun Belt team. So it, you, we wouldn't have started the year with that narrative of uh, oh wow the Sun Belt three and against you know conference rival Big Twelve. Uh, I wonder if so. T- Two thousand twelve. I think one of the big differences, specifically with Kansas State, is we made a star out of Colin Klein. Like Colin Klein was getting some French Heisman buzz. Like he, you know, people knew his name that year. This Kansas State team feels very anonymous, you know? Uh, even with Iowa State, I think Brock Purdy is kind of a household college football name for fans of a certain caliber. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if like casual guy knows who Brock Purdy is, but college football people know who Brock Purdy is. I don't even think a lot of, you know, fairly avid college football people could name Kansas State's quarterback. So... I think that's part of it is that there's no way to easily commodify the team and there's no like brand recognition. There's no face recognition, name recognition. I do think we would still probably have a a big 12 problem. I I think nationally people would be like, well, they don't play defense in that conference. And, you know, Texas was supposed to be good and they're doing the same thing they always do. And Oklahoma is not as good as it was this year. And instead you have these teams. So I, I wonder... I don't know, maybe maybe they would get the respect they deserve, but I have a really hard time, even with people who like the Big 12, I have a really hard time imagining people going, well, yeah, you know, it's it's Alabama, Clemson, maybe Miami, Kansas State's right there. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that's where history and benefit of the doubt plays into it, because if you give Oklahoma, Iowa State's schedule, and they end up beating Louisiana, and then Oklahoma is sitting here at 4-0 or 5-0, I can't remember what Iowa State is off the top of my head, 
we're just assuming that Oklahoma is the same team they've been recently because they've done that in the past. Whereas if Iowa State had beaten Louisiana by whatever score, even though Iowa State has turned it around with these eight-win seasons, we're not giving them the benefit of the doubt. And it's hard to say. Like, we don't know how we would have reacted to the Louisiana win versus a loss. We have, we have no idea. But, yeah, we, we, we don't give those teams the benefit of the doubt. And it's it's not fair. And it's kind of what happens with teams that are outsiders that jump into the playoff conversation. A lot of debate around UCF was, well, they haven't proven it. We don't know that they're a known commodity. They haven't been doing this for several years. And no, that's not fair because we should be judging you what you're doing on this year. And I don't give a shit what you did last year. If you're coming off five straight 11 win seasons, or if you went winless last year, I don't care, but that's just the reality, uh, reality of it. anything else here before we wrap. Just a, a thought that, man, I really wanted to stop talking about the big 12, but at the same time, these thoughts keep coming into my head. You kind of poked into my head this idea here that Oklahoma is really the first playoff caliber team that we've had that has consistently been either in the playoff or in the mix to get into the playoff every year since we started this thing that has potentially fallen off. I mean, and has gone away from that. And I think watching how we talk about them going forward as a Hey, they they were consistently a playoff team, and maybe they're not now. Maybe maybe they're not in that neighborhood anymore. I think that could be interesting. Please join us back here on Thursday morning. Episode drops at six a.m. Central, so hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app that you are using. That will get automatically downloaded Thursday morning, six a.m. Central. Week seven betting preview with Chase. We'll be back here one week from now to look back at week seven. That will include uh, not a not a ton of high level games with several intriguing games we do obviously have alabama georgia that's kind of the big one oklahoma state baylor and then several below that one week from now we'll be back for that episode thanks for coming thanks for checking out the high motor podcast i saw a friend today it had been a while and we forgot each other's names but it didn't matter because deep inside The feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in between